and welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on how you can be a part of Refuge Church, join us on Sunday mornings in Jacksonville at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m., or visit our website at refugejackschurch.com. In this week's podcast, we are continuing our Discipleship Sermon Series formation. Thank you for listening. Good morning. If you have a Bible, if you'll find Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, if you don't have one, there's a, there's a, a black one in the pew uh, in front of you. Um, and you can find Hebrews chapter 12 in there. That's where we'll be in a couple of minutes. When you came in, um, hopefully you got at least one of these, if not both of these, uh, two cars. One's big, one's small. Um, one is uh, the refuge kind of August calendar. There's just a lot happening in August, and we just kind of did this as a way for you to remember. I'm sure most of you will stick it in your Bible and it'll fall out around Christmas and you'll go, oh, there's that thing. But if this is helpful to you, then praise the Lord. Okay, so stick it on your fridge, do something with it. There's just a lot happening. We thought that might be a good way to organize it. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, some of the things on there. Also, this card, 20 Days of Prayer and Fasting, which kicks off tomorrow. Uh, if you were here last Sunday and heard Alex preach and you went home and started fasting, that's fine. You just get a whole extra week, which means you're more spiritual than the rest of us. So, um, But we're actually starting tomorrow, okay, based on the calendar we've put together. But listen, if the Lord's led you to do something different, go crazy. Enjoy not eating for an extra week or so. That's totally fine. So August is busy, uh, 20 Days of Prayer and Fasting. I'll talk about it at the end of the service. Uh, if you're not a member, then I want to encourage you to come to a meeting next Sunday night, 4 p.m., Sunday afternoon, 4 p.m. in this room. Uh, we gather, we call it Discover Refuge, and we just talk about what we believe, what we're about, and give you an opportunity to ask questions. If you want to be a member, you have to come to that class as a part of becoming a member. So whether you want to know more about the church uh, or you just, man, want to come and join the church next Sunday afternoon at 4. I think the next membership class won't be until January, so, um, man, cancel your plans. Come to that. Let me, let me do this. Um, membership matters because becoming a member is more than like joining Sam's Club or Costco. Um, becoming a member of a church uh, shouldn't be seen as something you're joining, but biblical words would be like something you're becoming and something you're submitting to. So to become a member of a church is you're becoming part of a specific community that you see God beginning to put together or has formed, uh, becoming part of a family, uh, becoming part of the kingdom of God um, on earth. Uh, there's some submitting to this, submitting to do life with other people. There's an acknowledgement that I can't do this Christian life or life in general alone. Um, Man, it's uh, submitting to spiritual leadership in your life, allowing others to pour into you, pray for you, um, myself, our elders, submitting to the mission of God through your life. Church membership is not this idea of where I go. Oftentimes we say, I go to this church. Rather, it's where I live, I breathe, I move, and, and these are my people. This is where God has led me to be part of the mission and his work. A lot, and really so much of church membership can be, can be seen around this idea of togetherness. Now, I'm not preaching on church membership, I just want to give you that as we look towards next week. Um, a couple weeks ago, we were on vacation, I guess a month ago, and we were at the beach. We rented a golf cart, ride around with all the kids, keep them happy, feed them ice cream. If you go on vacation with kids, you understand. And so one afternoon, we had this great idea of loading up and driving down to the ice cream place in the golf cart several miles from where we were staying. Um, as we're driving down, just a thunderstorm out of nowhere pops up, lightning flashing everywhere. It's raining. Kids are crying. So we go into the ice cream place, hang out there for... 
I don't know what felt like hours, it was probably 30 minutes, but um, as we saw kind of a gap in the weather, we load back on the golf cart as quick as we can, and we decide to make that, that uh, two to three mile jaunt back on the golf cart, on the roads, you know, going 15 miles an hour, and so, and as we're going back, uh, we see the storm start to roll in, and as that's happening, we're riding down one of the little main highways that you're supposed to be on, and I see a car coming the other direction in their lane, everything's okay, but then I notice this massive puddle in the road ahead, and as I inch closer, I'm like, we're probably going to get wet. And um, as we get a little closer, I realize that puddle's like a lake. Like, I mean, there's a lake in the road, uh, the car coming SUV hits the puddle, and it was like slow motion wave engulfed the entire golf cart, everyone in it, right? You got some people crying, some laughing, some angry, because they said it wouldn't be wise to go get ice cream with all the kids on a golf cart in a storm. I won't tell you who said that and who didn't. So all of a sudden we're having this moment. We get back to the place and one of the kids goes, that was awesome. We'll never forget that, right? And we're like, you're right, but that's, that's together, is it not? You have these moments where, listen, and this is membership, we're together, where, where, you, where you celebrate the good things together and you grieve when things are hard together. When we need each other. This is part of the purpose of church membership. So if you're kind of debating, man, I would push you to become a member, continue to pray about that um, because it's becoming part of a family. Becoming a member is your way of stating, you can count on me and I can count on you. Membership is becoming part of the body. Uh, and being a member of a church is your way of agreeing that you need to do life with others. I mean, you've heard this phrase, I'm sure, I don't need the church, it's just me and Jesus. Well, I would argue that you are the church. So to say you don't need the church is to some way to say, I don't need myself. And you can't really do that. Then on August 28th, we're having baptism. If you have placed faith in Christ at some point and never been baptized, or if you need to place faith in Christ, man, we would love to baptize you up here. Um, man, I, I know I've baptized a few of you in the room. I saw you earlier, and I would love, uh, man, we would love the opportunity to see that happen for you. While baptism doesn't save anyone, um, it's also not optional. I mean, it's a step of obedience, and really the first step of obedience for the believer. In the book of Acts, um, baptism is seen it's what you're willing to live for, but also what you're willing to, to die for. Um, on the 28th as well, we'll have our membership dinner. Uh, we do this a couple of times a year where we gather, we feed you dinner, and then we come over here and worship a little bit, and then talk about what's going on in the church. You hear from elders, you hear about some church business. And what I've always said is this. There's a couple of Sundays a year I'm going to guilt you like crazy over not missing those Sunday nights. Just a couple. This is one of those on the 28th. So, man, cancel your plans and, and be here. We'll feed you dinner. We'll take care of your kids. And it gives us as a, as a body and as a family time just to chat um, a little bit. We're going to go through the book of Acts, uh, kick that off at the end of the month. Uh, if you're not aware, on Sunday mornings we started praying together at 8 a.m. in the chapel. So as Alex may have told you, if you want to show up in your pajamas and pray and then go home and get dressed, just make sure those pajamas are, are you know, are churchy enough, I guess. I don't know. So, uh, so a lot's happening in August, okay? And we want to put those things in front of you. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon. God, we love you, and we do pray that, uh, man, as we talk about renewal this morning, and we have this opportunity to kind of to look at our lives, do a little bit of introspection, and go, Lord, would you bring renewal, Lord, that you would do just that? Or would you humble us where we need to be humble? God, would you um, point to, to unrepentant, unconfessed sin where we need to see that? And Lord, would you be exalted uh, because of this sermon? Jesus, we need you and we love you. Amen. Uh, if you've not been around long, uh, you won't know this, but for those that have, I was a student pastor for a long time. And one of my favorite things about student ministry was doing camps and retreats. And I imagine in 20 years of student ministry, I did hundreds of camps 
and retreat. Sometimes I miss it. I miss the endless Mountain Dew. I miss the lack of sleep. I miss playing kickball and dodgeball and getting to hit little middle school kids with dodgeballs and it'd be completely legal. And like, I just, I miss all the camp was and the exhaustion that leads to the emotional Jesus high and the, the friendships that are formed. Anybody do student camp at some point in their life, youth camp? Anybody? Anybody would love to do it again just one more time? Cool. Next summer when we do student camp, we'll be, I'm playing. So listen, I mean, I just, I, I know for me, one of the things I got to experience with camp was, was the spiritual renewal that would take place in, in my life as a leader, but also in students' lives. I saw God do some amazing things. I even think that for some adults, it would be really beneficial if we still did camps and retreats, and you got to unplug from normal life, go drink your Mountain Dew, go play your kickball, and just get emotionally exhausted and meet with Jesus again. In August, in, in a lot of ways, when we talk about renewal, is one of those times that presents us with an opportunity uh, to reset spiritually, so to speak. So if you think about January, in January, we tend to reset physically, do we not, right? We just ate really poorly for six weeks, and now it's like, I got to lose weight, join a gym, fast, I got to get on that new Atkins. Like, we, we just figure out new ways to live and try to be healthy. Well, August, in a lot of ways, has been this time to kind of reset. Summer is ending, kids are going back to school, the freedom of summer is concluding, schedules are changing, and a lot of people find a commitment back to church even in August, and so August represents or presents us with this opportunity to kind of reset spiritually, and to, to refocus our hearts and our attention on Christ. So here's what I want to challenge us with today, as Hebrews 12 is going to, is going to teach us. I want to look and go, okay, Lord, what things are weighing me down currently? And they don't have to be sin. There are things in our life that can be really good things that can weigh us down. How about this? What, what, what things are sinful in my life? that are clinging to me and, and keeping me from my focusing my heart and my attention on Christ. I mean, I want to challenge us to run with endurance in remaining faithful. I want to challenge us to find Jesus, and, and I want to challenge us to what Scripture says is, man, restoring the joy of our salvation, reminding our hearts of the joy that Christ can bring. Listen, I'm not claiming to know everything going on in your home, your heart, your personal life, but as I've talked to some of you and, and even know my own heart, man, I'm longing for renewal. And for the Lord to stir my affections for him again, to be as near as he once was. And so that's why we're going to talk about this today. And over the next 20 days, we're going to, we're going to be encouraging you to, be, to pray and to fast um, as we seek this out. So about 15 years ago, um, I had a friend at the church I was serving at started a gym. He was a professor at a university, and he started a gym, and it was this, this phrase, this two-word phrase that no one had heard of, or at least I hadn't in the small town we were in until this time. And this phrase was CrossFit. Um, and this guy, Dan, kept started inviting me, hey, why don't you come to the gym sometime on a Saturday morning? And, and I would do what you might do if you didn't go to the gym. And I would go, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And then I would not do that, right? And, so, and that went on for several months. And then um, some of the college guys that I was meeting with and discipling, he invited them one week. Hey, and, and he said this to them, hey, when you come, make sure Josh comes with you. And so I got roped in. And so as I get to the gym, I'm expecting, you know, Planet Fitness or something like this where there's some, there's some ellipticals and there's some machines and then we go home, right? Well, I walk into this dirty, stinky warehouse that had no AC. It's got poles hanging everywhere. It's got like torture tracks, tracks over here. It's like just weird stuff. And I'm going, what are we doing here, Dan? And Dan goes, well, let me ask you some questions so you don't get hurt. And I was like, who's going to get hurt? I'm a grown man, right? And so, um, and so we begin this conversation. He's like, so how often do you exercise? And I was like, so I, now let's pause, okay? So I, I'm just curious for you and your honesty, when the kind of shredded, ripped, 
uh, fitness instructor looks at you and goes, how often do you exercise? Like most of us lie. Is that fair? And anybody that played any sport, especially males in high school, we tend to think of ourselves as former athletes, right? That's just a, a lie we believe, but that we really believe strongly. So when he begins to ask me questions like, what's your current exercise regimen? And like, how much can you run? I'm like, played ball in high school a little bit, got this, you know? And so I just lied. I was like, man, I actually, I run, you know? And so um, and I'm a big guy, but this is probably still about 50 pounds ago. Like I was bigger a guy back in the day. Okay. And so, so he lays out these exercises. and if you know CrossFit, cool. And if you're a CrossFit person, praise the Lord for your health. That's not me. Okay. And so, um, we all die just saying anyway. So listen, um, we, man, man, so he starts making us do all these things, pull-ups, jumping on boxes, uh, push-ups, sit-ups. There's no break. And then like run around twice, drink a cup of water, do it again. And we had to do something like 10 circuits. And about eight in, he comes over and taps me on the shoulder and goes, sit down. And I was like, no, man, I got this, you know, through like heavy wheezing and not being able to breathe. And, and he's like, no, sit down. And I tried to take a step. And then he kind of like pushes me down on this box and kind of like pins me down. and like, you don't need to go anymore. You're going to die. I guess I had that look of someone who was about to die. And so um, I've never been one who like quit. So I was just going to press on and die, I guess. And so I'm sitting on this box and... Uh, and I sat there about 30 minutes, kind of calmed down, drank a bunch of water, and I went to stand up. And if you've ever done squats or anything like that, and you hadn't done them in you know, years, and then you do them, you don't really stand up, but you kind of just, you know. And so I kind of do this move to the car, and Dan's like, are you okay? I was like, great, man, I'm great, good workout, see you next Saturday. Again, lying, right? And get in the car, sit down, and just dead. Turn on the AC, and I'm like, now I'm starving, right? So I do the thing that we all do when we do this thing, and I drive to Chick-fil-A and order the biggest breakfast I've ever had, and I eat it all in the car, and then I sit there, and this is what came over me in that moment. These feelings of like shame and discouragement and embarrassment, man, just really put me in my place. Like I went thinking I got this, trying to impress. All these college guys showed me up. I couldn't keep up with them. Not only that, I couldn't get to my car walking like a normal human. Not only that, I go and ruin it all by eating a whole bunch of fried chicken. And I realize Jesus blesses it and all the jokes, but in the end, it's still fried chicken, right? And I remember just sitting there going, what happened to me? I, did the, I used to be an athlete, you know, that whole thing. And so I couldn't finish. Man, listen, I think that's a picture of so many Christians walk with the Lord. Hear me. We're not honest with ourselves about how and who we really are. We tend to lie to others and ourselves or even God about our walk with the Lord, or we just kind of like skip it all together. We come to a place that's hard, and we try to push through in our own strength, and when we do so, we find ourselves on the other end, broken, sad, and lost. And then we ruin it by running to things that won't fill up, won't help, won't meet our needs like I did with Chick-fil-A, that instead of encouraging us, do the opposite. And I want to talk about renewal today. And part of that is talking about not being fake. Part of that is talking about man, 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 being honest with your own soul, kind of doing some introspection and looking at what's happening in your life. We all at different times in our walk with the Lord need renewal. Renewal begins with repentance. It begins with being honest. It begins with welcoming others in. It begins with pursuing the Lord maybe in a new way. If you look at Hebrews 12 with me, I just want to look at these two verses, verses 1 and 2. If you've been around church, you've probably heard them before. They're kind of popular verses. And really give us a framework for renewal, man, built off these verses. Now, um, the first word, chapter 12, verse 1, is therefore. Anytime in Scripture, when you see that word therefore, you have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And it's there to say, hey, you can't just start here. So we want to circle a word like that and go, okay, where do we start? We have to know what was said to know what's about being said. This is, this is context. This is incredibly important. It's why we don't wake up in the morning and go, I'll read this today. But we read, men, systematically through Scripture. 
And so he says, therefore. And so it's reminding us of what the author just said in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not going to read all of Hebrews 11. Love for you to read it later at some point. But Hebrews 11 is this idea of men that by faith, people who were sinners, men but loved God, were able to endure and even conquer and, and see incredible things happen by faith because of that faith. They're always, this therefore reminds us, men, it's, and, and really, Hebrews 11 is, is, is called the hall of faith. And it's this reminder to remain faithful. We read a passage like this and remember those who came before us and the encouragement to remain faithful. It talks about Abraham and Noah and Enoch and Joseph and Daniel and Moses and, and how they persevered and endured even through obstacle and disappointment and suffering. And so the author of Hebrews 12 is going to say, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and the great cloud of witnesses he's referring to is chapter 11, all these people who have come before us and endured and remained faithful, he's saying, remember them, recall them, think on them. He's also reminding us that our, Christ our calling as Christians has never been to be perfect, but to remain faithful. The, the, the point of 11 is not look how perfect they were but look how they endured and remained faithful. To never move too far away. To always return when we stay. The author here points to those who have come before us as reminders of this, that none of these who by faith have their testimony in Scripture were perfect either, but they remained faithful. And so he's going to say, in light of that, he's going to say, let us also, so like they did, he's going to say, let us also. So if you look back at verse 1, let us also, he's going to say, lay aside every weight and sin. And so if we're going to talk about renewal, we've got to begin to look at our life and go, okay, what are the things that weigh me down? And they might be good things. I mean, what are the sins that I'm not dealing with that are keeping me from renewal? Scripture here is asking us to be honest, to kind of a gut check. In our heart of hearts, he's, he's asking what what challenges you, tempts you, even keeps you at times from remaining faithful to your God? And it's really interesting. He starts with the word weight. He doesn't start with the word sin. He says, hey, what are some things in your life? And like we just like, if we were talking to fifth graders, he's saying this. What are some things in your life that may be good things, may not be sinful things, but they keep you from remaining faithful? Here's what he's trying to say. I mean, they're, they're, good things can absolutely corrupt. Good things can distract Good things can steal our joy. Um, there's this verse in Thessalonians that talks about not quenching the spirit. Good things can quench the spirit. We often tend to go, it's the worst things. And what scripture would teach us, I man, there are weights in our life that can just be huge distractions. Listen, that smartphone in your pocket that might be buzzing now that you might see notifications dinging in on the watch and the whole thing. I mean, these are, these are good tools that can corrupt, can they not? I heard a preacher say this one time, and it resonated really deeply with me as he talked about weights. He said, he said, it's one thing to watch, and he was talking about football, so for those that don't football, just hang with me here. He said, it's one thing to watch football for a couple of hours on a Saturday or a Sunday. Man, man, go for it. Enjoy it. Let it bring you joy. But it's a whole other thing to watch football from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. on a Saturday. That good thing in that moment corrupts because it begins to steal your joy because you're not wired to only watch football. And so good things and corrupt. So he's going to talk about every weight. And he's asking this question, what good things have become a weight in your life, challenging your faithfulness to God? And then he says, in every sin. So it's every weight and every sin. And so we always want to start by saying sin is real. 
mean, sin is why people go to hell. Sin is why Christ came and gave his life on a cross. Sin is every time we miss living a perfect, holy life as God is holy. Sin is always near. Sin is always crouching at the door. Sin looks to take over your life, to creep in, to steal, to kill, to destroy. Amen, have a great day. Like, that's always not super encouraging. But, but like, we don't finish by, that's not the whole sermon, right? Christ also came and defeated sin and death for us. This is the good news. This is the gospel. But it doesn't mean we'll never deal with sin on earth. For the rest of your life, temptation will be near. They just opened a peach cobbler place for you folks that are doing no sugar. Like, we talk about temptation near. Sin and temptation is always near. But man, please hear me. Romans 5.8, at, at your darkest, he chose to die for you. And one of the verses I want to lay before you for my however long the Lord has me here is Romans 5.8. It says this, but God. He demonstrated his love for you and for me that while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. It wasn't get your life in order, get your junk in order, clean yourself up, stop doing that. It was in the middle of that dark season, that dark space, he chose to die for you. So here's my questions. What sin has crept into your life? Sometimes it looks like this. I mean, 10 years ago, two years ago, we would have said there's no way I would, I would fall for that. Yet, yet here I am. How about what sin is lurking? What sin is knocking at the door, ready to take you out? Like, do you realize and hear me? And there's a real enemy who has a real file on you. And look at me, knows how and knows when to take you out. And if you don't know when you're most vulnerable, I mean, you're going to get taken out. And if you don't know how he wants to take you out, you're going to get taken out. And what sin, let me ask you this question. This is kind of be real. What sin is currently hidden in your life? I don't share this with people. If people knew what they would think. What sin do you seek to justify? Can I just tell you, I think one of the, like, our, our, our special skills, like taking Liam Neeson style as Christians, is we're really good at justifying our sin. We play this, I deserve that, just one more time, God will forgive me. And justifying our sin is one of the ways the enemy lies to us. And so if we're going to talk about renewal... The author is going to say, and consider those who came before and begin to lay aside those weights and the sin. He's going to use this word cling. Look what it says, that cling so closely. I want you to think for a minute about being strapped with weights and having it cling and trying to walk. Or, or maybe if you've been to the beach with a whole bunch of kids and you've got to carry all their beach junk back across the street to the place and they don't want to help you and you're walking through the sand and you're tired and you're hot. That's just me. Is this just me? That's okay. I'm okay with that. But like there's this, cl- it's, 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 it's saying this clinging is the idea of being weighed down. That there's this weight and sin that weighs us down and keeps us from being renewed spiritually. And here's the thing. Sin can only be dealt with by exposing it, by bringing it to the light. So Christ dealt with sin so we could have salvation. But for you and I on earth, the only way for us to deal sin, deal with sin on earth is to expose it, is to go, here's my sin to another believer we trust and who has maturity. And there's a tension here, is there not? Because we all want to hide. No one wants to really say, here's where I struggle. But in the end, the thing that's going to free us from that struggle is by sharing it. So until, man, we're willing to expose that sin, we're going to continue to struggle. Once we begin to identify the weights and sins in our lives, things that Christ came and died for, exposing them to the light, we begin to live by faith, able to have endurance in all circumstance. When we hide our weight in sin, we are weighed down and we eventually die. 
I mean, I just believe spiritual death for us looks like going through the motions. I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to. I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to. You ever find yourself there? I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to. But when we expose and share our weights in sin, we endure and even run, not because we are strong, but in fact because we are weak. For where we are weak, he is strong. And, and can I just point out that word, every? The idea of every means fully exposed. It means nothing hidden. Verse 2, looking to Jesus. So we, we lay aside, we go, here are the weights, and here's the sin. And then we look to Jesus. And we are to focus our eyes on the cross and the Savior who died on it. I mean, can I just tell you this? We remain faithful by keeping our gaze on the cross of Christ. If you want to know how to remain faithful, we keep our gaze on the cross of Christ. Because listen, where, where we are faithless, he is faithful. When we are weak, he's strong. Where we fail, he endures. Where we sin, and we sing this sometimes, his mercy is more. Where we run, his grace draws us back. And where life is hard and suffering is near, he is better. Jesus then is the founder and perfecter is what it's going to say of our faith. I mean, it's, it's based on him. It's built on him. Like, do you know what that means? Like, that's such an important part to all this. Um, my tendency, we just sang this song, In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. Great song. We should sing it a lot. Here's my tendency. In Christ Alone and Josh a little bit, my hope is found. Right? That's, that's where I tend to go. Like, I, I don't always want to admit that freely, but how often am I going, it's a whole lot of Jesus, but I, I'm gonna, Josh needs to do a little bit. But Jesus is the author and perfecter, founder of our faith, built on him. I mean, there is no faith that doesn't start and end with Christ. And here's where I want to dig in just for our, our time together. That is, I mean, if you grab this, I believe it can be so powerful. Look what it's going to say. And I, and I want you to listen to this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I, I turned 40 a year and a half, year, year and some change ago. And uh, Beth made me a doctor's appointment because I'm a 40-year-old man. As my kids like to say, you're an old man, right? I didn't know what that meant. People started telling me scary things about what it meant to go to the doctor at 40. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Somebody sent me a YouTube video that was really awful. Like, I mean, all kind of things were happening. So that night I get into bed and I'm getting ready to go to sleep. And I can't sleep because i got to be at the doctor the next morning at 8 a.m. because I'm 40, right? And I'm like, what, why? What are, we, what are we doing? Like, I don't want to go. And then I started going, man, my throat's a little scratchy. Maybe I can get out of this, right? And I'm just, I'm trying, but then I'm going to the doctor because I have a scratchy throat. You have to go, right? And so, and I'm just going, why did she schedule this? And nothing's going well. And I wake up like angry and grumpy because I got to go to the doctor. Man, I don't wake up for the, for the joy. Man, look, who for the joy that was set before me went to the doctor? Like, I, I didn't wake up with that. I woke up, drove to the doctor, sat in the parking lot going, maybe they'll be closed. Maybe, maybe it's Friday. Maybe they're not going to be here today. Maybe they all took the day off. Maybe they all went on a cruise. Like, I, everything in me did not want to go in there. Man, man, maybe the dentist for you, maybe it's something different for you. But listen to this phrase, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We don't often see pain and suffering as the joy set before us, do we? We don't go, hey, you know what? Today's going to be a great day. I have to have four teeth extracted. Like, no one wakes up with joy in that. But listen to what he's saying. Like, how in the world could Jesus say the joy set before him in enduring the cross? I mean, do you remember the cross, the spikes through his hands, the, the crown of thorns on his head, the spear in his side? Do you, do you remember the suffering, the shame, the embarrassment that took place? Yet, he's talking about for the joy. Like, we have to reconcile that, because that's, 
That's quite startling. The joy set before Jesus that led him to endure the cross was this. Ready? The joy of knowing that as a result of the cross, his people would be forgiven. There was much joy in Jesus in enduring the cross because he knew that it meant he would get to see his people forgiven. Do you know who his people are? That's you and that's me. The joy of our Savior suffering on a cross was that enduring that suffering so that I could be forgiven. No forgiveness of sin, no salvation. And you can say it this way. My God's joy is found in forgiving me to the point that he was willing to physically suffer for me in my place. Have you ever wondered, answered the question yourself? If somebody asked, who are you willing to suffer for? Who are you willing to suffer for? You might say a loved one. Romans 5 says it this way. It says, who would suffer for a good person? Maybe a few. Much less an evil person, no one. Jesus' motivation to endure the cross was our forgiveness. But then there's three words after that, man, that as I was studying this week and I read that, I just kept getting grabbed by it and trying to figure it out. This is what it says. It says, despising the shame. Shame has become a popular topic in our culture for probably really shameful and sad reasons. But it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, comma, despising the shame. What shame? I want you to think for a minute of the shame of enduring the cross. The shame that came from dying the way Jesus did. His friends had abandoned him. His family left him. His earthly support left him. His reputation had become a mockery. He was exposed and naked high up on a cross. He was tortured while others watched. He was a king, yet completely undignified. Even sweat and blood and grunting and tears that would come with all that took place and all of it would have brought endless amount of shame. And this passage says that Jesus despised that shame. Surely there was no greater way to suffer and die than to die this way on a cross. That's got to be one of the heights of shame as a way to go. Here I am, no one loves me, fully exposed, fully naked. You can all see me die right here. And despising the shame meant this, that he wouldn't allow the shame to cling to him. And I talk to more and more Christians that allow the, the shame of their life, of their sin, of their decisions, just to weigh so heavily. But it says he despised the shame, meaning he wouldn't allow the shame to cling to him. Because what he did is he compared it to the joy of seeing others forgiven. And Jesus said to the shame, I despise you. You have no power here. He claimed joy in the face of shame for what was to come. And shame was worthless to Jesus because he found joy in enduring. Do you hear that? And shame became worthless to Jesus because he found joy in enduring. Jesus wouldn't even allow shame to distract him. He had set joy before him. I mean, the tools of shame and is, the, is, is, a, is a tool the enemy desires to use to take you out. Where we, we begin to believe things like, I'm a terrible person, I'm a horrible person. Who could love me? Who could like me? Who could care about me? Let's just talk for a minute. Um, so Zoe, our youngest, is three. She's got blonde hair, super cute, super sassy, runs the house, okay? Um, if you've met Zoe, you get it, okay? Uh, I think I'm in charge, and then Zoe walks in, right? And so imagine we're in the front yard, and she's on her scooter. Let's just, let's just imagine. And she falls off her scooter and lands on the ground and looks up at me. And imagine I look at her and go, you idiot, you don't know how to use a scooter? 
What's wrong with you? Like, no, hang with me. The feeling you feel right now, hang with me. Like, put that on me. Go, Josh would do that? Just hang with me. First of all, my wife would not, I don't know, it wouldn't be good, right? Micah would body slam me. He adores her, right? Hannah would smack me. Like, it, things wouldn't go well for me if I responded that way. You don't know how to scooter? What's wrong with you, three-year-old girl? Like, that would be all, like, that, that awkward tension we feel right now that you want to kind of smack me for even thinking that, right? Now, A, I've never done that. B, I wouldn't do that. What do I do? And if she falls even a little, I jump and scoop her up, right? I hug her, even if like nothing's really happened. We put a Band-Aid where really there probably doesn't need to be a Band-Aid. You know what I mean? That whole thing, we're going to put six like rainbows down the, down the knee, even though she fell on her elbow. Like, but we're doing it because that's what hurts. We're going to get a snack, probably ice cream because she fell, right? I'm going to hug her, I'm going to read her a book, and then we're going to go try again. Man, oftentimes, when we fail, when sin ravages, when we mess up, when we get off course, we believe that when we fall, God goes, what the heck is wrong with you, you idiot? And Satan has got into our souls and caused us to believe that. Can I tell you what our God does? He, he comes and he scoops us up. He gives us good things we don't deserve. He draws us in, and then he sets us back down and says, let's try again. And, every, and listen, if Zoe fell 30 times, on 31 times, I'm not going, okay, what's wrong with you, right? I'm going to just continue, add Band-Aids, add ice cream, start over again after the hugs. And can I tell you, man, that so many of us walk around defeated because we feel this weight of shame that Christ has despised, both for himself and for us. Shame is a tool of hell. And just like Jesus called it out and then despised it, we have to do the same. We can't operate in shame. When we do, we miss what God has called us to. This is the point of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And shame can be the most debilitating weapon the enemy will use to attempt to rip and trip you up. And many today walk around allowing shame to defeat them. But like Christ, we should despise shame. We should call it out by name and we should run the other way. And the best and only way for us to fight shame is to think of the words right before this. What does he say? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And he joyfully took the cross in my place to forgive me and to do it over and over and over again because he loves me. I can be fully known and fully loved by this Jesus. Shame will constantly lie to you, telling you you can't. Let me think about this. How often are you? I can't. I'm not enough. People are going to see right through me. Can I tell you what's funny about all three of those things? Those are kind of some of the lies of shame. All three of those are absolutely true. You can't. I can't be a good enough husband, father, pastor, friend. But he can. Right? I'm not enough to do any of the things I just named. But he is. Others will see right through me. That's probably a good thing. If you find out that I'm not perfect and I sin, that's probably a good thing. Because ultimately you can go, but man, Jesus doesn't. And he's, I shouldn't be looking to Josh. I should be looking to Christ. When shame rears his ugly head, despise it, and as Christ did, call it out and tell the shame away from you. You are fully known by God. And hear me, everything is fully exposed before God. Listen, nothing is hidden that is not exposed before God. I would tell you these two things. Shame is from hell and joy is from Christ. Thank you for tuning in to the Refuge Church Podcast. For more sermons or to learn how you can give to Refuge, check out our website at refugejackschurch.com. For those who have heard the gospel and believe the gospel, go out living the gospel. You are sent.